grace can heal the world. And the golden rule gives us one possible definition of grace, but cleverness has caused really smart people to miss out on the accuracy of Jesus' words. Right here, right now, we want to show you that trap so you don't fall in. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka, sponsored by the Zero Aggression Project, zeroaggressionproject.org. I'm your host, Bill Perotsman, here on the AHO Radio Network. But first, Jim, from the last episode, one of our listeners writes, I finished listening, absolutely perfect. An idea for your list at the end. What if we told the people we're talking to that we want to try to steel man their beliefs, explain what that means, and then ask them how well we did? I love the idea. And it was funny because when we were planning that show, I had Steelman in the back of my mind as an example. And somehow or other, it just never came out in the course of the episode. You know, you kind of go where the spirit leads you while you're you're sitting here. So yeah. um, Steelmanning, uh, let's define it real first so, so that everybody knows what we're talking about. There is a real temptation to be non-empathetic and ungracious in conversation when you are disagreeing with somebody, especially over, let's say, a political debate, which is the thing that we tend to deal with the most here on Grace Archie. And what people do in these situations, uh, they typically engage in one of two arguments. They do ad hominem, which is name calling, or they do straw manning, which is where they take somebody else's weakest possible position, a position they probably don't actually even hold. And then they say, I'm going to, I'm going to set that one on fire, or I'm going to tear that one down. So that's real easy. If you got a, if you got a, a scarecrow in the middle of the field and you say, I want to set that on fire, you're going to burn that pretty easy. Okay. It's unfair because it is not the argument that the person would tend to make. They probably have much sounder reasons for what they're, what they believe. And you should, Grace would say, I'm going to assume that you've thought about this subject, that you are reasonable. And I'm going to ask you questions. And my assumptions or my presumptions are going to be that you are, that you are of sound judgment. I'm going to try to think of what your best argument is. So the steel man is literally, what is your best possible argument? And that's the one with which I want to engage. And in fact, if I really want to be gracious, Bill, um, and I haven't often done this myself, but if I really want to be gracious, I would help somebody make the best possible argument for themselves, right? I love that. I love that. Yeah. So you've got a position. Your, Your argument's not really that good. It would be better if you said the following, okay? And so I improve your argument. And then I deconstruct it because... The first commitment in, in, in these situations, the very, very first commitment, I don't care what, whether we're talking politics, uh, your, your personal faith, uh, in view of God and what the universe, how you're going to invest, because you have to place a bet in that setting. All these areas that we're talking about, the first commitment, science, all should be to the truth. What is the truth of the matter? I want to know how to, to discover and live in the truth. And if I have the truth, and that may mean I have to change some opinions. I might have to shift my investments or my my positions or values. If I want to live in that truth, um, that's the safest place to be in the long run. So one of the pleasant things about knowing other human beings is that they teach you things, right? That's one of their benefits. And so it doesn't do any good for me to just simply reinforce my own views by by parodying, basically, your views. And just, you know, setting them on fire as easy as you would a straw man. Steel man, if you think of it, every time you think of steel man, think of the opposite of straw man. So you'd be helping me to strengthen my, I want to say, beliefs, because oftentimes the arguments occur because we both see the elephant from two different perspectives. 
<laughs> you know, and we, and we don't, we can't really agree that it's an elephant. We agree that it's a leg or we agree that it's a trunk, but we can't agree on the elephant. So you'd be helping me to uh, reinforce my beliefs in the leg of the elephant, for example, as being a part of a bigger whole that I haven't yet noticed. Yes, definitely. And, uh, you know, the, this letter, one of the things I liked about, and thank you for listening, uh, this person will know who they are. One of the things I liked about it was his last point was ask them how well we did. I so love you that just, too. Ex- yes, you've just explained something. Uh, I've just explained to you what it is I think you are attempting to say. In my own words, I've given you your best argument back. Now, did I get it right? Did I characterize you correctly? Because it's hard to steal man. Because these yeah. aren't your beliefs, right? You, your beliefs. you didn't think this in the first place. So coming up with the best possible argument for it is not natural. It's not normal. It's not the way we normally function. This takes conscious energy to do. You have to really listen and engage with the other person and see them as a human being and then start to think, well, wait a minute, why might they have chosen this particular point of view? And so uh, I really like this last little step he said was, you know, ask them if, if we got it right, how yeah. well did we do? How, do, how well we did. You feel better about your argument now, Bill. Yeah. Right. This is something that maybe as a third party voter, it's just sort of naturally happened to me, but I can't claim that I'm graceful on it. I do see the other sides. I don't just completely discount everything because I don't vote that way, but I make an attempt to actually understand what's going on in the rest of the world in our duopoly. And this steel man is kind of encouraging me now to go the next mile and say, okay, so if I were defending X, Y, Z, you know, with a red hat on, uh, this is what I might say. How did I do? Mm-hmm. If I were defending X, Y, Z with a blue hat on, um, this is what I would say. How did I do? That's a really important practice. I think it's like anything else, something you get better at with practice. Okay. So one of the reasons I arrive at this position, playing off the exact opposite side of the coin from where you just were, one of the reasons I arrive at this position is I really wish that Republicans and Democrats understood me. So I have the unique advantage, and I'm sorry, I'm going to insult a lot of Republicans and Democrats right now. There isn't anything, you are so easy to steal, man. We get your propaganda all day long. It's on our radios, it's on our TVs, it's on our phones, it's on our internet, it's on, I mean, it's just all around us. And then we sit down and we get together with you and two or three of you Republicans or one or two of you are Democrats and we get to hear it there too. It is everywhere. It is ubiquitous. Okay. It's exhausting because we keep hearing the same things. Okay. I don't, they don't have that from me. My point of view isn't being broadcast everywhere. They haven't heard everything I have to say, which by the way, creates this unique opportunity to do a podcast, right? I can come on here. You know, I thought about doing a podcast with you for quite a while now. (laughs) Right. But, uh, most of the things that they've got a gigantic echo chamber and we get to hear their, their, their arguments. And they make what they think are their best arguments. So we hear what those are. And I help Republicans all the time saying, you know, if you were arguing, I do this more with them than Democrats, because I know more Republicans. But I say to them, you know, if you were arguing this, I might be with you. Or if you had this was your motive, I might think you were trying to do the right thing. Like I can, I can do that because I've heard their arguments so many times that I start to think about what's wrong with it. I can start to actually think about where it would, how I could make it more moral or more consistent. My instinct is usually to try to find uh, moral consistency in things. Yes, I, I like that instinct rather than finding fault because everybody can pick a bone. But um, when it when you come down to the the morality of something, uh, yeah, that's where the rubber really meets the road. Yes, 
And so, so it's not hard to, it's, it's, let me just say we're, they have a handicap. We, they don't get the propaganda, libertarian propaganda shoved at them all day. So we have the ability, we know their arguments there. It does. It's not that. And, and this is what, you know, in the very first episode, if you recall, when we talked about guns, right. We, we, we knew we could say something new because they had said the same things on both sides repeatedly. Right. Yes. It's just, yes. it's just, it's, it's overwhelming. It's the same discussion every time. Yeah. It's and only it ignores... one it's a jukebox with two records in it. Yeah. And, and so, you know, all their sound bites and talking points, you really do. And um, so I, I, the opportunity to step in and say, Hey, wait a minute, here's a third way is, is that's what we do. And I come from this, I discover steel manning because I want to be understood, but this, this applies in a whole host of areas other than politics. You've just we hit all. the golden rule there, which is <laughs> give what you want. Right. And yeah. uh, I, I, you've got a great point to make on this, but let's build up to it in the, in the sort of a normal way. Um, I've talked to you about this before, but what's your personal golden rule story? The one you want to share right now. It's 2012. Ron Paul is running for president. He's in a debate in front of a South Carolina crowd. This is uh, this is Bible Belt. This is, there's a lot of church-going Republicans sitting in the audience. And he invoked a golden rule in foreign policy. And what happened next knocked me on my can. The crowd booed him, catcalled. I mean, angrily. Like, they erupted in outrage. How dare he say that we are not following our savior when it comes to how we practice foreign policy. Oh, they were so upset. What did he say? I, I don't remember exactly the exact words. I just remember the moment. The moment yeah. had a deep emotional impression on me. One of the most important moments of my life, honestly, because it set me on a journey. So one of the things I, I did was I ended up writing an article uh, on this subject, um, you know, talking about the golden rule and its importance because I was very surprised. Then I got to go on radio shows. This is, this is what was weird. We didn't actually seek any publicity on this. And then I started getting calls and asking if I could come talk about it. The article kind of went out a little bit viral and I did a two or three radio shows. And I, in, in, in these cases, there was at least one host in every program who said, I am not a believer. Don't read my Bible. Not really interested in any of that's the religious stuff. But what I hear you saying, if this is what Christians actually believed well, I would be a whole lot more interested. So I'm, I, you know, this leads to me to this moment from, from the standpoint, this show's called Grace Archie because a couple of months after this happened, while I was doing some research, I stumbled across a philosopher by the name of Rene Girard. I learned about the scapegoating mechanism, which we will talk about at length. And I mean, I promise we're going to have whole episodes about this. I learned about the scapegoating mechanism and that paved the way to some thoughts for a book I want to write. I still haven't finished. Uh, this is now, you know, more than 10 years ago. Um, I haven't had time <laughs> uh, on empathy. I want to explain the role of empathy in uh, our lives. And I have a, 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 some original thoughts about what's needed and how that needs to be balanced out. But empathy is central to what we do socially. And it has guided my, political philosophy, which is where I work, right? I work in political, that's what, that's really the field I'm in. I'm in trying to popularize or spread notions about political philosophy, about how we should socially interact with one another. 
or maybe how we should remove politics because it's not a very empathetic way to get things done. And so that this is a very seminal point in my journey that night. Um, and it got me, got me going on the golden rule. I know you've written about that in Zero Aggression Project in the blog. Um, and I was surprised by the title of the piece when I saw it. Does the golden rule have flaws? Can you sort of summarize what you're getting at there? Well, it's a clickbait. We're trying to get you to open the article. <laughs> I mean, other than the clickbait. <laughs> no, it, actually, that actually, I don't do that. That actually, that article, it would have been <laughs> ironic if I was writing an article about the golden rule empathy and I'm using clickbait, right? That's not very empathetic. But the reason that we picked that title was because I had bought into the proposition that the golden rule is imperfectly worded. So there's variations of the golden rule uh, preceding Jesus. The Buddha had one that he said uh, th there was a rabbi, Rabbi Hillel had his own version. He, yep. he, was, he immediately precedes Jesus. Jesus probably was repeating it with Rabbi Hillel directly in his head when he was saying it. Um, uh, there's another one that comes in the medieval era uh, that is very, very nice by another rabbi that I, I happen to love. And I reference in that article titled, Does the Golden Rule Have Flaws? You can get that on zeroaggressionproject.org. Um, uh, there's, and it's, it's in all, all kinds of other religions. Kant's categorical imperative is a variation of it, right? There's, so there's, there's a lot of different versions of this. And my the reason that it gets criticized is it says do unto others as you would have done unto you. So there's two problems with it. One is the do, did, do I have to do unto others? Can I just, you know, ignore or leave them alone? And yes, you should. That's kind of the de minimis. Like what is the physician's rule? First do no harm, right? That's right. a golden rule, isn't it? Yep. Um, maybe we can call that a silver rule, zero aggression principle another silver rule, right? No Leave others alone. Okay. Leave so that others, deals yeah. with the do part. And then uh, as others, as, as, as you would have done to you, right? Jesus says, as you would have done to you. Well, what if you're a masochist, right? Should you, does that mean you should go around hitting other people because you like getting hit? Like, you know, it starts to create, like, you don't necessarily know. In fact, it's rather presumptive on your part that what you want is what I want. Yes, that right? is, that is sure. I mean, in, in the so, modern world, uh, we've got uh, Putin invading Ukraine, right? Right. There's, a, there's a, a principle in that. Yes. So I dealt with these issues, and, I, and, and basically my solution to them was, this, is, this does exist in all these different places. We have all these varied wordings. And at the end of the day, if you're, you're just trying to be clever, because you know what the real point is. We don't have to have the language so precise that it handles all possibilities. That's absurd, right? Children on playgrounds can understand what this rule is, right? If yeah. I say, you will have more friends if you don't hit people while you're playing on the playground, Johnny, then, you know, I'm giving him a golden rule, but, uh, you know, be nice to people and people will be more likely to be nice to you. That's a golden rule, right? And you don't have to have that wording so perfect. And that was the the uh, the place I landed at the time that I wrote that column was ad in addressing that issue, that it was central and it was central because we understood that it mean, it, it meant, it also meant don't do instead of just do don't right. do what you right. wouldn't there's, have done to you. There's that, right? that other side of it. Yeah. If you don't want it, don't do it. Right. And if you're really performing at a optimal level, 
is, you know, don't do what you know the other person doesn't want done to them. Right? You don't have, you don't have to be self-referential in that case. You can say, well, I can see that this doesn't make them happy. I should not do this. So are, are we just saying accept the wording as it is? And, and, the, and it exists in so many different ways. But without getting all literal and stuff, how do we dig underneath the hood and actually make that relevant in our own lives where you very well, very well might not want to do the right thing? I know I'm, I'm including the wiggle word in there. And what is the right thing? Anybody guess. But the right thing is if, if somebody were to do back to you what you've done to them and it hurts, it was the wrong thing. Yes. That's the do on as you would have done unto you part, yeah. right? It's yeah. that part of the clause. I mean, this is where, you, so the, the value of this, and I, I referred to the child on the playground is that's the place where we get a lot of this feedback. Um, I don't know if you've ever paid any attention to this, but children are criminals. So if you go to a playground, they assault each other. I mean, this happens routinely. Okay. Now the same act that a child does on a playground as an adult would be prosecutable by law. Okay. If I come over and knock you down in the middle of the store and go, ah, ha, 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 and I have a good time and I break your stuff, right? You're, you know, maybe you were carrying some food and it gets crushed or broken. You lose your dinner. You know, I, I, I've done something wrong and it's, we have laws against that. We don't prosecute and send children because they're having to, they're learning these things by experience. They're starting to go through and try to figure this stuff out. Now there might be some kind of playground punishment. You know, Johnny, you're not going to be able to come out and play on the playground tomorrow. You're going to have to sit in detention because you know, you were mean to Bill. I'm sorry, Bill, that that happened to you, that Johnny was mean to you. But, but as an adult, it's a completely different matter. So we start out learning. My answer to your question is we start out learning uh, at that level, physical, right? And to some degree, social. I don't know that the social learning ever stops and it does vary from person to person, right? Yes, yes, I agree. And you know, I'm not about pointing fingers here. That's not the point. I'm just trying to sort of dig into it so I can feel you know, what it's like to have gotten the hurt back that I gave Yes, you know, in some sentient way. On the other hand, um, so I, I grew up in a Christian church, but it's been a while, right? I'm unchurched now. And I get it intellectually about the golden rule, but I look around and just go, oh my gosh, you know, things are crazy. What is it? Can you offer any kind of hope to unchurched Americans who, like me, still want to connect with this concept and practice this but have just been so beaten for their practice in the past so it's ron paul all over again yeah yeah um there's a Every time I think of this, I think of a scene from a movie. I, it, it's, it's, I wish I could remember what the movie was. But there's a line from Gandhi where he basically says that, you know, if, if it's always an eye for an eye, we end up blind. Blind. Everyone is blind. Now, it turns out there's the, the funny part about this movie is somebody did the math and somebody is left with an eye. <laughs> <laughs> but but you, you, again, you take his general point, right? There has to be, okay, it is a fact that since we are all physically here, we're alive, that at some point somebody let down their vendettas, right? There's a point at which 
some peace was re- arrived at in previous feuds and people let things go. Yeah. If we always held things out to their very end, we'd all be dead. That's what Gandhi's trying to get across. So we clearly don't. There's a stopping point. Now, recognizing that we're all alive by virtue of the fact that the stopping point occurred, we probably can deduce backwards that maybe life would be better. There'd be fewer injuries and, and, and hurts that, and harms that happen to us and those we care about if we didn't carry our ability for vengeance to its final degree. And in fact, then we could backwards figure out, well, wait a minute, maybe if we found ways to bring peace to situations, to be peacemakers, there would be fewer conflicts all around us. We could reduce those too. And maybe we can find out that, you know, our ego is very much involved in our desire to argue with other people. You know, I can't, honey, I can't come to bed yet. There's somebody wrong on the internet, right? Yep. Yep. We've all seen that one. (laughs) Yep. Uh, so maybe we can start to work our way backwards. That's my hope is that at first, I think you'll be happier if you do it. I mean, the, the number one benefit of say forgiveness is it makes you, uh, starts to make you whole again, right? Yes. You're carrying around a, the burden of, of anger and rage and, and scheming to get even. And now you're able to say, well, wait a minute, you know, I don't want to carry this around anymore. I'm going to let, I'm going to set this burden down and you start to, you can start to heal. So that's the first step of the first or most important part of uh forgiveness wait a minute that we don't have to wait for the government to pass a law that mandates forgiveness <laughs> no and it ain't gonna happen either, by the way there's something there's wrong no, with this picture there's there's no votes in that so you know but what's interesting to me about this particular uh jesus's wording here very purposefully chosen uh it turns out is that i think i was wrong not that the analysis was completely useless but i think i was largely wrong and he, and he got it right, no surprise, to, you know, turns out. Do is the definition. We're, we're sitting here having programs, the first two episodes, and even the beginning of this one, and talking about steel manning, about proactive ways to be empathy. That's what grace is about, right? I'm going to give you favor in this situation. I'm going to try to find ways to see your good, see the virtue. I'm going to try to see ways that I, or find ways that I can help you when you're in pain. When we talked about the shooters, right? These mass murderers who are, you know, basically committing a form of public suicide or they're trying to get attention, right? Those seem to be the two primary motives that have some degree of rationality to them. Being able to reach them and say, wait a minute, what's the hole in your life? What, What do you, okay, you need more attention. How do we get you that? Like, what is, how can you productively get more attention? How can we help you be productive? in getting what you need to meet and be whole in your life. And by the way, is that where you should be putting your dependence? Because that to me is like the largest ultimate question is where your dependence lies. So you've written that in, of course, in the catchy title, does the golden rule have flaws? So your, your thinking has changed that it's no longer, you no longer see it as a, as a potential flaw. You see it as an instruction and actually in the same article, an instruction for empathy. Like instruction a for instruction for empathy and what's more an instruction, you know, for our terms here for grace, for right? Grace. Yes. So I want to, you know, we've talked about this before. When we say grace archie, we mean government by grace, right? The archie part is government. Yeah. So what is grace? Grace is the favor I give to you despite whatever it was you just did. Right. Yeah. So you're behaving, you're behaving badly. And I find a way to do something to help you to invest in you. So Jesus says, love your enemy right? Go the extra mile. 
these are these are grace ideas and steel manning and and then following up i think that i get you right that's a grace idea that's that's, that's me idea. that's me going forgiveness is a start that's that's one forgiveness right that's that gets you just to even right yeah i'm suggesting that uh and then empathy is a is an underlying motor or mechanism for grace this is the thing that goes into the plus column we're in free fall negative we don't have peace right things are there's fighting going on we're at odds with one another to get to the starting line we have to have tolerance and forgiveness to tolerance and forgiveness though just get us even and this would be great if we could achieve just that. I'm suggesting we need some people who are willing to work on the plus side of the equation. Yeah. To go beyond tolerance, yeah. to go beyond forgiveness. We've seen where it works uh, when we go the other way for a long time now. And I don't know, maybe it's naive of me, but how do you expect that this will reinvigorate things if we all suddenly decided, like in our family or something, that to make the golden rule of practice? Uh, the way we do things. I don't think it could not help. Now, the problem for most of us is going to be that many times that we do it, and especially the early faltering times that we do it, we are not going, people aren't going to suddenly go, oh, well, you've been so nice to me now. I'm suddenly going to stop being a jerk or I'm suddenly going to stop being disagreeable, or I'm suddenly going to stop being bitter and angry. So we would, if we're not, if we're getting the, if we're not getting the feedback we want, we might be tempted to think that this isn't working. Yeah. Good point. Because we like to measure everything these days. Right. And a triple blind test of this would probably not be very successful right out of the gate. But 30 years later, if people have been doing it for that long, the measurements would be different. Yeah. So I want to change people's time perspective here, if I can, Bill. Sure. Uh, This may not work for you. I'm going to share what works for me. Okay. I'm going to share what I think the answer is, but it's going to, everybody, people are going to, there's going to be resistance to what I'm about to say. Your mileage will vary and you need to come up if you need to come up with a proxy to fill in what I'm going to, what I'm going to say. And that is God demonstrates his own love for us. And that while we were sinners, while we were out committing offenses, Christ died for us. So the crucifixion, uh, at least on a hypothetical basis, I believe on an actual basis, but the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the most unjust act in human history. Jesus lived and died in, in a shame culture, an honor culture where shame was the biggest thing that you could lose. And he was completely shamed. Cursed as anyone who hangs on a tree. He was stripped. You know, his, his clothes were you know, divided up, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a humiliation of the highest order. He was treated unfairly because he was accused of things that he didn't do. He wasn't given a fair trial or hearing and then punished for those things that he didn't do. And if to add insult to injury, they put the crime up above him on a sign said, here's the King of the Jews. Yeah. People came by and mocked him as they went by. So they didn't have any empathy. Nobody sympathized with him. He's got a whole bunch of people are like, you got, you know, this is what you got coming. You deserve it. If you're God, get yourself off the cross. Right. And of course, then we've got the physical torture aspect. So in every single way, this is completely wrong and just, if this is God, if this is a good person, period, it's a really, really horrible thing that that happened. And yet he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
So here's my radical idea. My model, and believe because I believe I have a relationship with them, my model is that I'm going to imitate. I want to try to imitate that. The phrase that the Bible uses is take up your cross. Or you see what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's the model to imitate. And that's the person to satisfy. So if I need somebody's approval, that's where I'm going to go get it. Now, I don't know for you. I hope it's that. But if it's not, I hope that what you have is you have someone or you have some standard that you satisfy where you feel assured by virtue of the fact that you did the right thing and not just based on the incidental or or, or results or even the, the initial quality of those results. If you pursue this long enough, uh, particularly in a given relationship, you're going to have some success stories. You're also going to have some failures. And I would even argue, you know, a baseball player comes up to the plate and if he can manage to get on base three times out of 10, you know, he's on, he's well on his way to an all-star career. If he can get on a little better than three, you know, he might be even headed for the hall of fame, right? Three and a half. He's headed for the hall of fame. Yeah. And so it's, I'm not, I'm not suggesting we have to take our target off of what, what other people think or the response that we're getting and start to invest in this and have a long-term perspective. And I would argue the ultimate long-term perspective is, an, is what I would call an eternal one. That's what it, it would be for me to the degree that I can do that. Like, cause I live in the real world too. And I'm going through, through shit as low, just like everybody else is right. Yes. Yes. And so that's what we should be striving for. And we should be encouraging one another to strive for. Just for clarity here, this obviously doesn't apply only to Christians. Yeah, I just I think you have to figure out where you're going to put that foundation, right? You're, and, and how to, and it's got to be one that is that is is long term. Like I don't think if you're living in the moment, you know, in kind of a hedonistic fashion, right? This made me feel good. This made me feel bad. If that's you know, or I need people's approval. I need the people's approval around me. It's very, very, very difficult if the person whose behavior is, if, if you need the approval of the person who's being bad to you for you to stay in that good spirit, very bad. So I'm, I'm arguing that we shouldn't really have our dependency on any person to the degree that that's possible. And we should be shifting it to the person, but s- figure out where that's, that thing is for you. Okay. If you can't make that journey. I hope you can, but if you can't, if that's not, doesn't work for you, then that, what I would hope is that you would find that place out there. I've got a kind of a curveball here because one of the things that's fascinating to me about the golden rule is that it's, uh, it's mega religion. It doesn't necessarily have to come from a belief system or from a religion mm-hmm. or from a book that's written by somebody that we all revere. Um, and it applies equally to anyone who happens to be living on this earth as a human being. At any time at any time throughout history. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we think it's really good because it's done so well for us for such a long time. And as you've pointed out, we're all still alive because somewhere, someone, somebody along the way decided to be forgiving and graceful rather than continuing the eye for an eye. And, uh, and I love that. So uh, sort of as a final parting shot here, what would you say to scientists who need metrics for this? I think that 
so my, my personal view does not just include, and we haven't gotten into this today, and I don't want to go too deeply into this in the time we got left. Yeah, that's sure. But my personal view is that, that there is a neurochemical reason for most of, for a lot of our behaviors as well. And empathy, best as I can tell, I've been able to find some evidence for it, uh, pretty significant evidence for it, is hardwired into who we are. And it is, is so, it is profoundly hardwired into who we are. Like we literally are social creatures. There's kind of this mythos that's developed during the modern era that we are all self-interested and that self-interest is bad, right? It, it leads to greed. Um, okay. Again, your mileage may vary on this, but it turns out we actually need each other desperately. And we figured out very quickly, I mean, from the time we're very young. And if it does, if, if, for example, a, a child cannot imprint on his mother's face correctly, we know that there and it is held. We know that there's huge ramifications to that, huge, um, that are negative for that child and for the people who will be around them. And so we have, we have a need to connect and be with others. We meet, help meet each other's needs and trade and in relationship. I mean, there's just a whole host of things that we, we have, we have this need for connection, even for touch. We have this need for these things. These are not minor, small things. So to the scientists, I would say that we should be looking to try to measure the, the new measurements that we should be focused on are those things that have to do with connection without losing the individuality. Because we've had this debate, I think it's another one of these phony false debates between the collective and the individual. Uh, the best collectives have good individuals in them and individuals are, are revered uh, in that collective. But there's no way that, that individuals survives on their own. This is, this is not, you know, this is why in prison that being um, oh solitary being solitary confinement, confinement yeah. is 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 one of the worst tortures you can give, and that's I just, the, I, that's the torture we do for people who we think are uh, are a problem in society like addicts, they get isolated. Oh, and this is a whole other podcast all by itself. Instead of being instead of offering love and compassion, we force them into further isolation. Which mm -hmm. is just hurtful. Yeah. And we know that this plays a role in addiction too, right? Big role. Big role. isolation. Yep. Big role. Thank you for that. I, I realized that was off of our script, but I wanted to make sure that we covered all the bases. And You're not supposed to tell everybody that we have like a script. I oh, mean, it's not a... scripted. Listen, folks, it's not scripted. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it. It's, trying to, it's not scripted. It's not scripted. No, the, it's not. I know the questions I mean, we, we do discuss what we want to go to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But I can't ignore them. When it comes up, it's like, Hey, we haven't spoken to X, so we we've got to be able yes. to get everybody into the audience on this because grace yep. is so important. Yep. Closing yep. thoughts. Your closing All thoughts. Right. You know, one of the things I wanted to get out here that was in my notes that <laughs> 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 you've since revealed. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Anytime. Uh, Making you look good, Jim. Making you look good. I've uh, spent some time over the winter uh, in a class uh, led by a gentleman by the name of Baxter Kruger. And he has this saying that's kind of central to his ministry. The recognition of the sacred presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in every person, moment, and place is the end of religion and the beginning of the freedom to live, the freedom to be. And he has variations on that statement that he makes, but it's kind of central to who he is, that there is a relationship that we're being drawn towards. There is a divine source 
I happen to believe in a Trinitarian view, but you, you know, again, I want to encourage people that in order for us to make this world a better place, and this is where I get my principles from, but you've got to have some substitute for that. You got to, if it's not that, you got to have one. And if you want to participate in this, you figure out what that is for you. And you make sure that you find that source to that, again, down the road to deliver that grace. And for me, it's because this relationship is reaching out to me that God's, these, these three, three persons are reaching out to me where I'm at in my deepest, darkest place. Uh, because they're reaching out to me, they're reaching out to others too. I start to recognize that all humanity matters to God. What I want, what God wants, right? We all matter. So it's important to me that we don't leave people behind. And I don't, it's not, it's not a coincidence that I end up being a libertarian because I hang out with other libertarians. And one of the things I find is that they're really rooting for the little guy. There's somebody that they're looking at going, oh my gosh, you know, did you see that uh, cop beating that man, right? The instinct should be for the cop, right? That's where the society tends to go. But then they say, well, what about this person, right? And, they, and then you say, well, you know, somebody's engaging in some behavior that, you know, generally is not socially acceptable. Let's throw him in a cage. And they go, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, he might be a little off, but does he deserve to be in a cage? Like their empathy goes to this lone loner. Their empathy goes to this person who is being overlooked and easily scapegoated and easily dismissed and not important because they're not part of the majority. A lot of libertarians are not big fans of democracy because of this, right? Like we're going to have the majority decide, well, what about this minority over here? Mm-hmm. Right. So this instinct to reach out and find out and understand why is someone doing something you don't understand or that you're having a hard time tolerating right now. That's okay? grace right there. That's grace. And every person has these things. You know, it may be hard to believe, but I am capable of being irritating, right? Guess what? (laughs) Fortunately, you're surrounded by people who have grace. Yeah, yeah, yes. And are not afraid to be irritating back. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes. Sometimes. uh, So I hope this all coheres and makes some sense. I hope this, uh, everybody can, can get something out of this today. It does. I've like been close to tears twice. And I don't mind saying that because these are, these are powerful concepts that are so necessary and they come so close to my heart. So thank you for, thank you for, for doing this folks. That's grace. Arky. Oh, just want to let you know, as sort of housekeeping, we'll be on multiple platforms soon. Currently we're on YouTube. And if you subscribe and ring the bell, you'll get notices when we, uh, post an episode like this one or when we go live which we also will do if there are pressing issues that we want to ring in on and hopefully offer another point of view to those of you who are interested in grace and who are interested in practicing the golden rule golly jim thank you again this is just um this is just one of those enlightening things that i love doing because every time we do it it buoys my spirits good thank you for that and thank you all for listening grace and peace to you Aho. Uh-huh.